Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Kate Hamilton Health Podcast. So today is a, another part two. I've had so many amazing guests on that I've had to have them back on um, because we've had so much to chat about and Kelly has become a friend of mine um, since we first got to know each other at the beginning of the summer and this is what I love about the internet you can become friends with people across the world and um, you know people that you haven't even met in person from chatting online and from you know sharing um, similar kind of interests and conversations and it's been amazing so today's episode is with Kelly Hunt. Kelly is a life coach and she we have an absolutely amazing conversation as usual uh, this time very much around well, we, we, it's not quite as broad as we did last time. And uh, we focused in a little bit. We talked a little bit about she's just moved back from Australia. So we talked a little bit about living in Australia and what she um, valued over there and what she loved about there and why she's happy to be home and how she wants to kind of connect what's important to her from both life's lives um, together to create a life that makes her happy. Uh, so we talk a bit about that. We talk a little bit about kind of, you know, Ireland and the darkness and kind of that seasonal affective disorder and, you know, how the darkness can really make like play havoc with our wreak havoc with our mental health in a lot of a lot of ways and some people really do struggle and we talk a bit about that. And then we talk about kind of happiness in general and how important it is to actually just kind of be in the present moment and be happy in the moment and how you know money will only scale happiness to a certain point travel will only scale happen happiness to a certain point and what we really need to do is learn to be happy in our ordinary Tuesdays or whatever you know and uh, we talk a little bit around that um and we talk a bit of, again about creating space for ourselves and what did I do for me today that kind of thing so um that's how we start off our conversation then we go into a really interesting topic about love languages and she talks about the five love languages and how much of a difference knowing what your love language and your partner's love language is how much of a difference that can actually make to your relationship and to resolving conflict within your relationship really interesting one because not something I've ever thought about being you know a busy mom of three kids you know me and Dave are literally just a team you know the conveyor belt is moving and we're just kind of keeping everything keeping the show on the road here basically and so it was really amazing to just kind of learn a little bit about that and to be able to kind of that idea of a relationship check-in and you know it really made me think and something I hadn't prioritized or really thought about so and um, that was really interesting and then we move on and we talk about attachment styles and how your childhood and your original you know your first seven years or whatever you know how much of that um actually develops your attachment style when it comes to not just romantic relationships all relationships and whether you are a secure attachment style an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style and she talks a little bit about how the two the different combinations what kind of relationships that they can create and what you know and what you can do to kind of work on your attachment style and how again like with the love languages knowing your attachment style how that's going to help to improve your relationship or to to work through any problems in your relationship so an episode well worth listening to might actually save you a fortune in couples therapy as well I know it will mine now anyway <laughs> um, I'm going to go down and praise my husband for um, all that he does but no in all seriousness do um, listen to this episode there's a lot of value in it I hope you enjoy it and I will chat to you all soon Kelly welcome back to the podcast 
Thank you for having me. We have a part two. Yeah, a well overdue part two. It took us a long time to actually <laughs> yeah. kind of organise that just with hectic schedules and being across the world from each other and stuff. Yeah, well, the same time zone now, which helps. Yeah, being in the same time zone definitely helps. Rather, Well, although surprisingly enough, the whole Irish-Australian time difference works okay for podcasts and Zoom calls and stuff because it's early morning, late evening. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind, of, you know, when it's, you're kind of middle of the road. Like America's nearly harder because their middle of the day is kind of, you know, I don't know that there's a good, nearly at a good twelve hours between us, so it can be like before work or after work. But anyway, yeah, it does work out well. It's kind of like fine. where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. So anyway, um, I know we 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 chatted loads of topics last time we were we um were on together, but since then you have moved home from Australia. I have. I'm now rocking the scarves and hats and big heavy coats. <laughs> we're still in the stage of enjoying of enjoying being back and enjoying the Christmassy. The, the January depression hasn't hit you yet. That's the problem. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. No, I'm in full Christmas mode. The minute I left the airport and I felt the cold weather and the chill, I was like, oh my God, it's Christmassy. And I was so excited. So yeah, I'm still in full Christmas mode. I'm still very happy to be home. Will I still feel this way in January? Well, sure, we'll just wait and see. <laughs> Then, like and it's so funny I'm like I'm like the ultimate like optimist I was literally coming out of swimming lessons today and it was getting dark at like fucking 20 past four and yeah. I was like oh my god it's getting dark at 20 past four and then I'm like what date is it I'm like it's the 13th I was like it's almost the 21st which is the shortest day of the year and then it's all going to get brighter again after that <laughs> <laughs> I, I love dark evening so like I I love coming home and it's dark and just like getting to my pajamas and getting cozy and chilling not as big of a fan of the dark mornings, but dark evenings, love it. Yeah, now this is why I don't understand why they would get rid of the daylight savings time. So like, you know, the way they were talking about getting rid of, of put, putting the clocks back. If they like, and I think, and people are like, oh, I don't know why they're still changing the clocks. I'm like, if they don't put the clocks back in October, what will happen is it'll be dark till nine o'clock in the morning. Like kids will be going to school in the dark. I wouldn't be able to get up and walk my kids to school in the dark. It would be awful. Yeah, but you know, I'm so glad you brought this up because when this started being spoken about, my friends were like, Kelly, you need to calm down because it actually really pissed me off. Because <laughs> oh I was like, too. oh God, I thought it was wrong. <laughs> no, I was like, but time, while it is like a, ma- a man-made construct, it's also not because it's based on the sun and how it moves, how the earth, planet Earth moves around the sun. So daylight savings is also based on that. So you can't just change that. Like the sun and the planet is not starting to move a different way. So you can't just decide one day, well, we're not going to change the clocks. It's not how it works. And it really annoyed me. And everyone's like, you've thought way too much about this. I'm just like, no, this is time. You can't mess with it. That's the way it is. I just think we need to maximize that morning daylight. Even now, like, you know, we're heading towards the 21st of December and it is dark at 8 a.m. still. Like, you need to keep in mind that if the clocks weren't back, it would be... 9am like you know I just think like it's hard enough like I, I get up quite early in the morning get a lot of work done before the kids get up so I kind of but in a way that's nearly easier to do in winter because it's it's not any easier to get up at seven o'clock than it is to get up at five o'clock because it's still yeah. pitch black at seven um but like the eve I think it's okay for it to be dark in the evenings because that's wind down time but how are we supposed to get up and get energized and get enthusiastic yeah. about our day when it's dark like it just yeah. yeah it's like and I'm really really affected by the light you know so I think you oh, need I this lamps. I the have Lumi lamp yeah 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 well it's an Amazon version yeah but I was just about to say I was like you need this I love this this is so good 
Yeah, so what Kelly's holding up there is um, one of these loony lamps, which is like a... I suppose, what's the best way to describe it? A sunrise um, alarm clock. It simulates the sunrise. Yeah, so, yeah, that's it. It simulates what uh, what the sun... Um, so, like, I, I don't know about your one, but my one that I have, like, if I set my alarm for 7 a.m., it'll gradually start to get brighter, like the rising sun from half six until seven. And then when my alarm goes off at seven, then, like, the room is bright. My eyes have, like, subconsciously adjusted to it getting brighter. And yeah, and your body like releases like the wake up hormone because it thinks that the light is the sunlight. So you wake up feeling more refreshed and less groggy. It's great. Yeah. And it's less of a trick to get yourself out of bed as well. Yeah, 100%. I wake up much better in the dark mornings when I have this alarm clock. I love it. I tell everybody to get one. Yeah, check it out. It's L-U-M-E-E, isn't it? Lumi. Oh, I don't know. Mine's something that I got off Amazon. If you're interested in one, just Google Sunrise Alarm. There, you loads yes, of different. Loads of they're you not expensive to, either. They're great. Yeah, you don't need to get the brand name one. Like, just yeah, it makes a huge difference. Actually, my daughter has since robbed it on me, so it's down in her room at the minute. But uh, but I because I'm getting up at five a.m. lately, um, I can't set an alarm. I have to set my like silent alarm on my Fitbit because like Dave would kill me. And he's he's a really <laughs> light sleeper, so it was fine when I was getting up at seven a.m. and he'd be in the gym. He he go he trains at six a.m. so he gets up at that time but like he is such a light sleeper that as soon as the little tiny bit of light comes on the half an hour before I have to get up that wakes him yeah I'd I'd be like that as well to be fair wide awake he's like a fucking meerkat or something like (laughs) so that's like so now that I'm getting up extra early there's no point I just need to suck it up and get up but I should probably plug it in and have it beside me when I'm working at that hour of the morning Um, and like that is a real thing anyone who's feeling sluggish this time of year it, what what is it called seasonal affective disorder yes yeah, it's like, sad but yeah. yeah something like that yeah it, yeah it's it's a similar acron- acronym to like the sudden adult death i think but you know not yeah, the, yeah not the same so yeah. um but it's a seasonal affective disorder or depression something yeah. like that yeah but how yeah. the dark mornings and dark evenings affect people because you're not getting enough vitamin d you're not getting enough of the wake up hormone so yeah, yeah. So it's not you. It is just the shitty Irish English. Um, Move to Australia. <laughs> yeah. So th- anyway, that's what we actually wanted to talk about. So um, for the first little part of the podcast, I thought we'd talk a little bit. You might talk a little bit about what it was like living in Australia. Um, you know, because I think you know we hear like a lot of us might have been to Australia when we were much younger. You know, when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, you kind of head off in your early twenties. Whereas um, you headed off at the age of. Um, I was 28 when I left. You were 28 when you left. So, you yeah. know, a bit more of a grown up being over there. So hearing kind of a grown up experience of being there <laughs> and then may, and from there, then we might go into being home and, you know, compare. And the rest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A late bloomer. I didn't go until I was like 28. Never. It's probably important to say that I never actually thought I'd go to Australia. Like my friends have been going to Australia for years and have been asking me to go. And I'm always like, no, no, no. Staying home. I'm fine. But then my boyfriend has lived every two years before, so he convinced me to go. So I said, okay, look, we'll give it a go. But to be honest, I actually did love it. I think it's a great experience to have, like to live and work abroad for like a chunk of time because it's just, it's very different to home. And you can just say that you've, you've done it then when you come home, you're never looking at other people who do it or thinking to yourself, oh, what if I did it or I should have done that? Like you've done it. And I think one of the things that I liked most about Australia, particularly Sydney, was everybody is kind of really into their mindfulness and their wellness and their health and everything, which is really nice. And 
it's not to say that Irish people aren't, but I just feel like it's not as focused on the way they do. Um, like I went, when I said I went to so many women's circles, I went to so many different meditation classes, sunrise, sea swims, all that kind of thing. And like book clubs, like everyone's just really into looking after themselves in that way. And I loved it. You need to move to Greystones. People are all into that in Greystones. Yeah. Sea swims, women's circles, howling at the moon, whatever. You'll find it in Greystones. I love that. It's like Sydney or Greystones. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've actually, I have done some of the sea, sea rise swims in Greystones with a group called Gals Gone Wild. I don't know if you know them. No. They're a women's uh, hike group. Um, Mel is a girl who runs it and she often does, um, it's like a monthly uh, sunrise dip there in Greystones and she has like little cacao and everything it's really good obviously I haven't been in a long time Ooh. but yeah so I have I've been to Greystones yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah so similar vibe to this Australia life anyway continue Sorry. yeah <laughs> and, um so, but yeah like as much as I enjoy that made some lovely friends like I tried different jobs that like I never within a million years have done before um just to kind of give it a go and I think like overall it was a great experience and but in saying that I am also like really happy to be home because I've really missed everybody I missed kind of the work I was doing here I'm really obviously I launched my coaching business when I was in Australia so that was like so Australia's always going to have that big part to me <laughs> um but I'm excited to see kind of how that translates into being home like I want to set up my own women's circles now here in Dublin like the ones that I went in Australia. Only the thing is, we can't have them on the beach the way they did in Australia. So I'll have to find an indoor alternative. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of excited to see. Like, there's a girl I follow, um, Caroline McKenna, County Down Under, and she lived in Australia for something like ten years, but she's living at home now. Um, I think she's in like Northern Ireland or something. And um, a big thing for her was bringing her favorite things that she loved about Australia home, because she says like happiness is not a postcode. So she kind of goes with that mentality and I, I really like that idea so like I'd like to bring the things that I loved about Australia home and see like how I can do them here maybe it means going to Greystones we'll see <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think it's nice like I'm it's it's a funny one like I was both happy and sad to leave Australia and I'm both happy and sad to be home for like yeah. different reasons but it was so nice seeing all my family, so nice seeing all my friends. I already feel like I ha- I've never left. You know, when you come home from holiday and you're like, did I have a holiday? Like, it, apparently it's the very same when you've been away for a year. I already feel like I hadn't left. Um, but I am, I'm really glad to be home, really excited for Christmas. And I'm very exciting things come up with my business in the new year. So I have lots to look forward to right now. Yeah, and I love that idea of, you know, ha- like happiness isn't a postcode and bringing and like having that time away from the rat race, from, you know, everyday life in Ireland, the way you've, you know, you've always had it as your adult life, let's say, to take that year away, discover things about yourself that you really enjoy in a different environment and then to move home and just to remember to bring those things with you and create them, like like you said, in your home environment. Yeah, that's it. Like, it'd be very easy to come home and be like, oh, the weather's crap. I haven't got this opportunity or that opportunity. I can't do these things. And to just like get really bogged down with it all and like hate being at home. But like that's, it's not, it's a very like glass half empty kind of mentality. It's not going to do you any good. It's only going to make you more and more depressed. Like you're putting all your focus and energy in the wrong direction. 
Whereas if you look for the positives and you like create your own happiness, yeah, you'll see no, a big difference. Oh, like a hundred percent. Like, and I can really um relate to that. Like this, I can really resonate with this in the sense, not with the whole travel thing, but in the sense of like, you know, having three kids. So as much like, and you know, like you're following different people that are, you know, like follow Sean Hammond, who's traveling the world, you know, or, you know, even following yourself. <laughs> or I, I follow that girl, Caroline McKenna as well. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and watching this, you know, these lives of people off traveling the world or even, you know, when, all, you know, all the people in Bali and, you know, living their best lives or whatever, you know, and it's I think it's important to remember that people are only ever sharing their highlights, really. Um, but, you know, so with, with someone, you know, me being someone who's at home, has three kids in school um, I'm not really in a position to to go travel the world in that sense at the minute. But it's really, really important to remember that you're like, if you're unhappy when you head off to travel the world, you're more than likely still going to be unhappy in your own skin wherever you go. You might learn a bit along the way and maybe you'll figure stuff out along the way, but it's not going to necessarily fix you. You can't run away from your problems. Yeah. And I think finding that happiness in what in your situation right now like I think like the, I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast but the book have you read the book and um, the power of now no I don't think so power of now Eckhart Tolle T-O-L-L-E uh, I don't know how to pronounce that but it's like it's a really famous uh, spiritual enlightenment book but he, his whole idea is like the only thing that actually really really exists is the present moment the past is gone so it's only a memory and the future you have completely made it up. It doesn't exist. So most of us spend all the time either, you know, thinking back like fondly or sadly about the past or we spend time being excited or anxious about the future. Yeah. And none of them, like neither end of the scale is good. The only place that you can actually find true peace and happiness is in the present moment. Which, like, when you think about that, is it's actually quite freeing. So it's like, no matter how shit your situation is, like, and I mean worst of the worst, if you can, and I, that doesn't mean that you have to accept, you know, the, everything that happens to you, but if you just surrender to the fact that, okay, I'm here where I am right now, and I can manage what's happening right now. I can manage, I can't manage what everything that's happening to me or around me, but I can control my reaction to it and what my next move is. That was actually another huge message from another book. I'm sounding very well read today, not meaning to. You are. I'm very impressed. Have you read the book, A Man's Search for Meaning? Which, sorry? A Man's, A Man's Search for Meaning. No. This is um, by... I'm embarrassing myself here. I'm like, no. But yeah, go on, tell me more. I'm trying to think what the, the author's name is. Oh, it'll come to me, A Man's Search for Meaning. But uh, Victor Frankl, he is a Holocaust survivor. So he wrote that he's dead. Oh, I have. <laughs> so like he, he's like they t- they took everything from him. Like you know they killed his wife, his kid, yeah. everything. Like he lost everything. Um, the only thing they couldn't take away, like they even like took away his dignity, took away his hair, his clothes, yeah. everything. They he was like the only thing they couldn't take from me was my spirit. My reaction to everything that was happening to me was mine, and. Like it's just so powerful. Sorry, this has gone real deep. But um my point yeah, but my point is I think like it's just so freeing when we get to the stage where like, okay, I'm where I'm at and I can choose to be happy in this moment, or I can I can choose to accept this moment and decide what my next move is towards happiness. 
Yeah, it's really and, important mindset. We get, we get so overwhelmed. I'm like, if we just slow the fuck down and be like, okay. And I think that's probably what, like, you know, going to Australia for a year or, you know, people go on retreats or whatever they do. It's taking that time out and just being like, okay, breathe. What's my next? Yeah. Move. I'd say like a big part, like, you know the way you're saying, like, you can't just go traveling to escape your problems. Some people, when they see people traveling and see them so happy, they think, oh, well, you obviously can. But a lot of the time, the reason why people who are traveling are so happy or so self-assured or so confident is because they've actually gone way out of their comfort zone in their travels and have learned so much about themselves through that process. And they've like then put work into themselves. So it wasn't necessarily like the destination of where they are. It was simply going out of their comfort zone, trying different things, taking different things away from them and then f- find, figuring out things about themselves and what they want from their, from their life then. Whereas really you can do that at home but we're, I think we're a bit less inclined because it's easier to stay in your comfort zone when you're at home surrounded by the people that you know, the people that you grew up with, the job that you've had for years and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so you kind of need to actively seek if you're into something. And this is where I'm like so passionate about step out of your comfort zone. Yes. Fancy going for a sea swim. Go to one of the sea swims. Drag your friend or your partner or whatever with you if you don't want to go on your own. Um, or if you've known to go with, just go on your own. Be brave. Like you meet people... Do, like the amount of these um what are they called like you know like the the full moon ceremonies that like are yes. on like Liney beach greystones beach like Wicklow, they're everywhere like you know um yeah. they're all around the country now that like people are doing like on full moons you know like go to one of them you know try reiki i tried reiki recently it was amazing like and my fabulous friend nicola has a new uh, reiki studio open in bray and i've seen it yeah, and actually, yeah, when you're looking for a place for your uh, women's circles, um, yes. like she, she rents space there, so um, it's definitely worth, and it's just off the N11, so it's a really handy place. But anyway, um, like, so, you know, started <laughs> meditation classes, you know, and there's all, there is this lovely kind, there's this, if, when you look for it, there is a lot of what you're talking about is quite open in Australia, is starting to rise to the surface in Ireland. Yeah, I do definitely. agree. Yeah, even like men's groups, like um, what's that guy's name? Is it Aina something? He's in the he's in the social circle as well. Um, he's running men's like like women's circles, but for men in the west of Ireland. And um, you talk, I did a podcast with him a few months ago, and he told me he had something like, I think he said he had over a hundred people in the group chat, like hundred men. And I was like, that's amazing, especially for Ireland. That's amazing that men are joining these kind of things. Like, I love that. I do think we are on the up. Ireland is shifting. It's definitely so many of us have been to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is. Like, you know, I haven't been to Australia. Like, I had my first kid at 23. I didn't go to Australia when, like, my, my best friend went to Australia when we were, when we just when we finished college, like, so about 21. I was 21, 22. She, um, she headed off her and her boyfriend and they were like, like, you know, come with us. Like, and me, but like, I actually couldn't at the time. Like, I, I wasn't pregnant or anything at the time, but I was so not well with anxiety and panic attacks at the time. It was not the right time for me. I was like, I can't go. I can't. And then I ended up getting pregnant with Jaden and, um, so I never went. So I haven't. And been. that was that. <laughs> but it's funny. Like I have this, like, yeah, this fire inside me that I want to travel the world. Um, I want, but like, not just take obviously I can't take off for a year now anytime soon like you know my youngest is only six I'm here for a while <laughs> but like I really want to have like adventures and you know 
go on amazing holidays and breaks away with my kids and do you know be able to like that's my goal in life I'm like I want to have the financial freedom to be able to bring my kids places you know so that yeah we won't be going to Australia for a year but I'd love to be able to take the kids to Australia for three weeks you know yes, I mean? a holiday or something yeah a holiday of a lifetime exactly you know and go to different places in the world and do it that way and I think now that just that I'm so you know comfortable in my own skin and I'm like I'm ready to to explore places um that I can't wait to be able to do that and like me and Dave have this like little retirement plan then I want to get I want to buy a camper van like you know like a really nice camper van and just travel the world and people are like oh are you gonna bring the kids I'm like no when they're grown up <laughs> like no I'll be done by them <laughs> it'll be pure hell with the kids not a hope but I like just trade them they can look after each other <laughs> in the house I'll go off I'll be living in my van somewhere I, I'll be happy but it's so funny I keep winding my dad up like I keep saying I'm like oh no you know because I've made obviously made a load of career changes and you know life changes lately so he's like I think he feels I'm a little bit unpredictable sometimes and like my dad is really sensible and you know likes security and pensions and you know all that kind of stuff uh, typical Irish dad but um, he I always like mess with him and I'm like yeah I'm, I'm gonna sell the house and buy a van gonna live in a van and he's like you have to sell the house it's your children's inheritance and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no you know what's the children I'm like I'm, I'm gonna sell the van I'm gonna sell the house and I'm going to buy a van. I'm going to move to Australia and live in my van. And um, like, I'm obviously only messing like, but um, it's so, fun, so funny winding them up about it though. Um, oh, but brilliant. I, yeah, I love the video of your dad scaring the kids. Oh, stop. When he was like crouched at the bottom of the stairs for ages waiting for them to come in and be like, did I get you? Did I get you? At the end. <laughs> Oh, stop. He's so funny. But um, yeah, no, I, I do have fun winding him up about that. But it's funny, like that that desire does kind of rise in you. Like it, I didn't have that in my 20s, but like that riddled with anxiety and then just distracted having small kids. Whereas now I'm like, I'm 37. I'm like, I cannot wait to see places and have experiences so that it helps me kind of grow as a person even more. And I can't wait. But it's really, really important to remember that that happiness, like, that you get from a holiday or you know from traveling or whatever like you can create that happiness every day and it's funny I've been thinking about this and actually I think it was James Smith I was at a James Smith event and he was talking about this was it James Smith I think it was and he was like you know like money I'm talking about money and how money doesn't buy happiness or whatever but he was basically like do you know what happiness is being able to get up on a fucking Tuesday and like everything you have lined up to do on an ordinary fucking Tuesday. He's like, I like being able to get up and just walk my dog and go and get a coffee and come home, maybe turn on my laptop and do a few hours. Yeah, like just having that freedom. Yeah, just yeah. being able to like, so happiness is in your everyday life. So what do you do on a Tuesday? What do you do on a Wednesday or a Thursday? Like, do those things make you happy? Because if they don't, then maybe I don't mean like, you know, change everything but maybe start making small changes in your life so that your ordinary Tuesdays make you happy as well as your holidays yeah that's that's really good advice to be honest because like you said we we spend so much time planning for and like going for our goals and obviously like a big part of what I do is help is like helping people to reach their goals but there's no point in putting your all into your goals if you can't be happy with where you're at today because then you're just chasing this elusive happiness that you'll never actually get because you're always looking for the next thing yeah it's no it's so true it's like we're always looking for something else like it's you know yeah. it's like more I'll money. be happy when I'll do this when yeah and then you get what what you want to get 
and it's not enough or it's not what you thought or you know no. you need you need it different or actually no sorry I remember my train of thought you know with like you know people that work so hard all year in jobs that they hate because they pay six figures or whatever or not even six figures just pay decent you know and they, they hate the job they're like oh it's paying for my house it's pay-. they have the fancy cars they don't even get to enjoy because they're so stressed out and to go on holidays for two weeks a year to Spain France, or whatever like you know what I mean it's that's fine if you enjoy your job but like really like ask yourself do you like if you hate it then it's probably killing you stress is the biggest killer like that's it like it to me it doesn't matter how much you pay me if I if I hate it or I'm not interested in it I couldn't do it yeah yeah took me a long time to realize that I think that's kind of it's like drilled into us just get a good high paying job and that's all that's important I feel like when you're growing up like it's like everyone you know it's like it's rare to say to someone do you like your job and for them to say yes I love it like you, you never really hear that so we're just kind of trained that you're not supposed to like your job you're just supposed to go get paid and just do it that's yeah. not the case anymore there's something really wrong in the education system there like it's and another reason why I need to not be in the education system anymore because it's like what are we said like it, and it's actually somewhere else I read or listened to on a podcast or something about third level education like because obviously I went from um school into college to become a teacher and then straight into the to the teaching workforce that um someone was like it was probably on Stephen Bartlett's podcast or something um where they were saying that like third level education actually crushes creativity that like yeah not now saying that I'm not look, I'm I have I have a college degree I'm not but I and to be honest I, I see it as an extremely important asset with whatever changes I make in life I know that I have my education and my years of experience behind me and that can't be taken away from me so and I find that that is in my opinion my power and it's really important to me but I was like God, is there a point? I don't know if it's third level education or if it's second level education, to be honest, that stifles the creativity in people. Um, I think I would argue it's probably second level. Yeah, probably both. And obviously it depends what you're studying in college. If you're studying something creative, you're going to be creative. But in general, you know, it is. It's like you need, it's all about earning money. It's like, it's about being able to get a good job where you have plenty of money. And once you have plenty of money, you'll be happy, which, which we all know is not the case. Yeah. And the thing with money as well, then, is that like you get to a certain scale of money. So like, obviously, if you can't afford to buy your kids presents, you know, around this time of year or if you can't, um, you know, you can't afford to ever go on a holiday or even if you just don't know where your next money is going to come from to do your weekly shop to feed your family, you know, and there, there's people really struggling out there. Then obviously it, it annoys me when I hear people like, you know, like the likes of the James Smiths or the Stephen Bartlett's been like, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. It's like money fucking helps when you don't have it. Like, you know, yeah. I've been there. I've been there where it's been literally like, I remember like, and like I was a teacher and we had a house and like, you know, we'd bought a house and I remember my Nana was in Limerick and she, was, she wasn't particularly well. And she was like, oh, come down and visit me. And I actually couldn't afford the petrol to drive to Limerick to visit yeah. my Nana at the time. And um, like this was years ago when we first bought the house. You know, that like, it, it's madness. I know it's it is a really tough concept to grasp and then especially when it's like people who have money more money than you are saying it and you're like excuse me but I do like obviously I think we could probably all agree with the whole concept of honey money doesn't buy happiness because when you look at all these celebrities who like are committing suicide or are depressed like that that's what it is money can't buy happiness in those scenarios but I think it's very scalable I think it gets to a stage sorry to interrupt that um 
that yeah once you get to the stage that you bring like to a certain amount it's going to really change your, your quality of life money is you know so if you have a good balanced happy life and the only your only problem in life is that you can't afford to do nice things then being able to take your kids on holidays or you know to be able to replace your car when it breaks down and you don't have that stress that you're having a mental breakdown how the fuck am I going to fix my car that's going money's going to make a difference there yeah but it's like it helps the stress only, levels only to a certain feelings only and after that it doesn't matter how much and this is the problem that pe- where people fall in it's like chasing high paid jobs more money more money and they they're working themselves into the ground for more and more money but they're not any happier for it like they've they've already they're at a level that you know it's I think it's really important to know when when enough is enough as well yeah like how much money is worth like your sanity or your mental well-being yeah yeah definitely anyway that was a big tangent we didn't mean yeah, to go I don't, know. I don't know how we got onto that one <laughs> yeah, just, I suppose living living the lifestyle and living in the moment and happiness and in general like it's just yeah the world's fucked basically but, it, it really is <laughs> Kelly we have it all figured out <laughs> yeah. oh, I wish <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you know everything's just so perfect in my life you know everything yeah yeah that's so right. I'm like a life coach coaching people on their lives and relationships and I'm like just like a lot of the time just coaching myself as I go along as well yeah I just find that it's like a constant battle to I was talking to a friend about this yesterday as well and um, a constant battle to like yeah obviously you know I've got goals and I want to grow my business and I you know I've got like you know my own fitness goals and you know and I like to have goals like I thrive when I have something to work towards but I, I find I'm always struggling for that little bit of calm in the chaos. And I know a lot of like busy moms listening to this or, you know, anyone with a busy professional life, you know, will get that. That like you actually like we need that space to just stop and slow down and go and do a swim or a meditation class or, or like, you know, I've signed, I've signed up for Cathy Scanlon's um, breathwork, breathwork starting in January. And I'm already stressed being like, God, I better make sure that I keep my Monday nights free and I don't end up too busy working that I can't go. You know, like it's yeah, mad. you're already there. Yeah, and I know that one thing I value is time to myself, like or time, you know, just downtime. I value it, and I can I find like I'm constantly fighting for it. It's it's just the world, I suppose. It's just everything so fast paced, and it's the one thing we all said during COVID that we were never going back to that fast paced life. And sure, look, we're as fast paced as ever. Yeah, yeah, nothing changes. Yeah. <laughs> But I think if anyone is looking for the healthiest New Year's resolution to have, obviously we're recording this coming up towards Christmas, I think is to create space for you. Set a specific amount of time. Yeah, make time for you happy in your day to day. Something, one thing every day that makes you happy. Whether it's five minutes, if it's a really busy day and if it's only five minutes, if you have more time and you can, you know, get out for a hike or, you know, like it depends. Maybe it's a shopping trip, who knows. Um, But one thing every day. I think I'm going to make that my New Year's resolution every day and I'm going to put it in my diary. Oh my God, I'm going to have to stick to this now. I put it in my diary every night and be my journal and be like, what What did I do for me today? Yeah, I think that's so important. Be on a little self-love cocktail. Yeah, writing it down. What did I do for me today? I have to write, like literally I have a WhatsApp group with myself because you told me that before and I made one then (laughs) yeah you told me this ages ago and I started like sending myself voice notes and like sending myself little notes and messages and it's so good so handy yeah yeah Yeah. and but I even find 
Yeah, well, even when I'm interviewing someone on the podcast, like, you know, when you're, you're saying something and I'm in my head, I'm like, you know, I, you know, I need to ask her that. And I'm trying to like scribble down. So I'll remember by the time you're finished talking to ask you that. And then, or th- but then you'll say something else that I find interesting. And I'm like, ah, so, yeah. And it's gone, then gone out of my head. I'm getting better at it the more people I interview, but it, it like it's it's hard. Um. Anyway, what we want, to, what I did want to spend a bit of time talking about today. Well, we didn't have time for this last time, and this is why we were doing the part two. Was wanted to talk a bit about love languages mm-hmm. and relationships because this is not an area that I, not that I don't really have a particular interest in. I've like the most you know stable everyday marriage. So basically, this is not something I don't know that I know anything about. Like, you know, I'm in like a long term, like we're we're married 10 years, like so ordinary, so busy with kids. Like, you know, that we're like, you know, I have a good marriage, but like, you know, we're just in that survival stage with kids. So relationship is not a huge kind of topic on my mind or, or you know, love languages. You know, it's like we don't have time for that shit. Not that joke, not shit. But so I'm re- I'm interested because I know the listeners would be interested to hear you talk a bit about this. And I'm not sorry, I called it shit. It's not shit. I am. I am interested. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> I am interested to hear about this in my whole profession here. <laughs> whole profession, you know. No, but um, it's just as someone who's you know like me and Dave are just we we're, we're literally kind of in like team mode now. Like we're like a team that you know looks yes. after the house and raises the kids. <laughs> and so it'll be interesting <laughs> now but you do i see on your instagram you guys make time you go out on your little walks and yeah. stuff together and you go out for dinners and stuff so you're making time and effort for each other in your relationship yeah we're too. probably doing it without thinking about it so i'm interested yeah. to hear the thoughts and the the science behind it go for it okay great i'm like where do i start well firstly it's literally my favorite topic i'd just be i'd meet new people and i'd be chatting to them and i'd be like in my head, I'm like trying to figure out what their love language is or their attachment style based on what they're telling me. Um, it's one of my favorite things. I love like talking to people about it and then them being able to relate to different things and having these eureka moments. And I'm like, yes, saving the world. It's great. So, okay, let's we'll start with love languages. So basically there are, I'll probably, I'll come from like a more maybe simple way in case there are some of your listeners who don't really know anything about it at all. And I know you said you don't know a lot about it either. Yeah. Okay, no, nothing. We're starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, there are five different love languages, okay? And this isn't like a mindfulness woo-woo thing. Everybody um, has these five love languages, and it's actually like scientifically proven. So, your love language is the way in which you like to give and receive love. And there, so the, I'll go through the five of them. So, you have physical touch, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, and gift giving. So everybody fits into those five categories in some way, shape, or form, but some of them will be more important to you or more prominent for you. So like, you can actually do quizzes online. Um, I, th- I think I have a, li- a link somewhere on my page for a good one. And it asks you different questions, and it will tell you, the different percentages that you fall into each of those categories. So it might tell you that you're like, say, 60% quality time, but only 4% acts of service or something. So then you know that that love language is more important to you and how it translates in your relationship. So the reason why they're called languages is because you and your partner could have different love languages like that are stronger than the others. So in effect, when you are trying to show each other love, 
in a way you're actually both speaking two different languages so I'll give an example say of myself um my more, more prominent love languages are quality time and physical touch so let's say maybe my partner hasn't got the same one say he's like acts of service and gift giving I will be trying to show him how much I love him through physical touch and quality time but because they're not his more dominant love languages that doesn't make him feel loved and then vice versa he's trying to show me that he loves me through acts of service or I don't know what the other example I gave was so I'll just say words of affirmation but because they're not my primary love languages that doesn't make me feel loved and then we might as well just be speaking two different languages to each other and a lot of couples then kind of hit a bit of a crossroads where they're trying to figure out like what's going wrong in their relationship or they're trying to figure out like why their partner isn't understanding them or why their partner isn't doing the things that they want them to do when it's actually down to your love language so physical touch is kind of like what it says in the tin like for me like I'm a very touchy-feely person um I like I love hugs kisses holding hands little just arm resting on my leg that kind of thing and then so yeah so usually someone who's love language physical just they're all about that like the little touches like even you know if you're passing them in the kitchen you place your hand on the small of their back like little things like that love it love it love it then words of affirmation is when you are giving your partner like praise for things or you're telling them how amazing you think they are how much you love them so it's like just verbally or even in writing like confer- confirming affirming your feelings for them and how much they mean to you like they want all of that feedback from you like they love it and makes them feel better and then acts of service is like doing things for your partner then people always think like the terminology is quite funny about acts of service but it's kind of like it's not just you're like it's not that you're becoming their slave and you're making the dinner every night of the week but it could even be things like putting effort in and like planning a surprise date or maybe you notice that they're having like a really tough day and you know if you took one thing off their plate it's really going to help them out it's things like that so it's finding little things that you can do and quite often a lot of people actually describe their dads as having acts of service as their love language because it's particularly with Irish dads like they're not always very good at like communicating their feelings but they'd usually like show you how much they love you because they're doing things for you like they might be they might go out every morning and defrost your car for you or like they pick you up from the late nights out that kind of thing so they're showing you that they love you through acts of service then yeah and gift giving is always a funny one because people often confuse it with like shallowness or like the monetary value of presence but it's, it's not about that it's nothing to do with like big extravagant gifts or spending lots of money but it's more the sentiment and the thought so even just oh I saw this thing today in the shop it cost me about five euro but I saw it and it made me think of you so I bought it for you so the person whose love language is gift giving all they hear is they thought of me today and that made them buy this thing and it makes them feel loved and then what one have I left out (laughs) words of affirmation quality time again what it says on the tin it's spending intentional time with the other person so a lot of people misunderstand living together as spending quality time together but you know yourself like 
you and your partner about work you have three kids like sometimes you can be like passing ships in the night whereas quality time is actually like allocating time to do something together where you're not on your phones you're not distracted by other things your your only focus is on each other and whatever it is that you're doing to spend time together so that's kind of the big difference there for quality time so they're the different ways that people show people how much they love them and also like to receive love. And the reason why it's so important for relationships is because if I know what my partner's love languages are, I can understand them better. When they're doing things for me in their love language, I can recognize that as them showing me love. Whereas if I wasn't aware of their love language and their love language is not my love language, I'm not going to get it. Like, it's not going to make me feel love. I'm like, oh, well, it's no good to me that, like, he's come home an hour early from work because he wants to spend time with me when, really, I would just love if he brought me home a bouquet of flowers or something or if he just come over and give me a cuddle. So having that understanding of your partner, you're able to say, okay, well, I know his love language is acts of service, so when he did this for me, I know that was his way of showing me love. And now, because I know that's how he wants to receive love, I'll go out of my way now to show him love back in his love language. So you can kind of make that effort. Like, you can see, okay, well, I love physical touch. He can make that effort for me by showing me that he loves me in that way. But I know that physical touch is not his love language. It's not coming as naturally to him. He's putting the effort. So I can also put in the effort. And I know his love language is gift-giving. So... I'm going to pick up his favorite snacks in Tesco on the way home and it'll make him feel really good. So it's kind of that new level of understanding in your relationship. And it's great as well for relationships who say have hit a bit of a, like maybe a a rocky patch, a dull patch, a stale period for whatever reason. And people are looking to kind of vamp it back up, add that bit of spice, um, regrow that connection that they had before. If you know, your each other's love languages you can do that and what I also think about them is they're like a cheat sheet like if if especially for (laughs) I probably more so say this to men as well like if your girlfriend tells you my love language is words of affirmation it doesn't just mean tell me you love me 50 million times a day like that's not it but if you're a bit stuck and saying well I don't know what to do then you can literally google examples of words of affirmation in a relationship and it'll give you like a whole list of things you can do and then you have it like an actual cheat sheet. I always say these powers have to be used for good as well, because if you're that way inclined, you could probably also manipulate people's emotions. But use them for good and think, how am I going to make my partner feel loved? Well, I know their love languages. I'm going to figure out ways to make them feel loved in their love language. And they're going to be happy and their happiness makes me happy. And everyone's happy then. Everyone's going to have their laptops out on their laps tonight now and asking their partners <laughs> random questions. but anyway i have a couple of questions right first of all i can immediately when you said that i was like okay yeah my two love languages are acts of service and quality time okay so that's not that's not my question but i know that's mine i know dave's is definitely quality time um i'm not sure about the other one anyway definitely quality time but but what my question is first of all is it to do with your upbringing? Like, and the reason why I ask that, I'm going to ask the two questions first and then just let you kind of answer both. Um, so yeah. 
is because quality time would be a huge would have been a huge importance of huge importance in my upbringing so like with my own family like quality family time was really important and um, something my parents really valued so something that I now really value and we still as like a, an extended family really value that and it's a really important thing in and especially as building a business and on never being present you know that it's really important that I put my phone away and I'm present um and have quality time with the kids with Dave like so that is important so my question in that is is it to do with your upbringing and my second question is can your love language change in different stages of life so for example like now acts of service is important to me because life is hectic we have three kids when I can cook the dinner like Dave appreciates that I cook the dinner every day and I like to cook because I don't want him to cook but um I like that after dinner I can go upstairs get my content done plan for tomorrow you know record a podcast whatever and leave the kitchen and shit and know that he will tidy it up and get quite ready for bed you know and like I really appreciate that like I genuinely really appreciate that about him I don't like if he came home with like an expensive present I'd be like what the fuck are you buying that for let's save the money for holidays you know what I mean um that but when we were younger I would have really appreciated him buying me presents or physical touch. Whereas now I'm a bit more like, you know, it, it becomes more practical at different stages and maybe that will change again. So just to kind of tie that up, is it to do with your upbringing? Does it change at different stages of life? And could last question, could this be the changing love languages be a lot to do with how relationships go stale and break up? I'm done. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll tackle the, um, does your upbringing impact it? And the simple answer is yes, it does. Because if you think about it, your family and your relationships as you're growing up, they are teaching you what love is and they're teaching you how to love. So it, it would be quite common for the ways that you experience love in your early childhood to then be your love language as you grow older. Also, you, it can have like the opposite effect. The ways that you didn't receive love as you grew up can then create like a need in you. So say if growing up, you maybe your family like wasn't very affectionate or they weren't very vocal in communicating their emotions. You might find that as you're older, you're, one of your love languages are physical touch or words of affirmation because you didn't get that when you were younger. So now you kind of have a need for it then as you get older. So, yes, your upbringing very much has an impact on it and then also has an impact on your attachment styles as well, which we'll get into after too. Um, and then about it changing, yes, it does. And some for some people, it can change from relationship to a relationship for similar reasons um, as to what I was saying in your upbringing. For example, if there are certain areas of a relationship that are lacking let's say you might find that because as I said although you have more dominant love languages everybody fits into all five regardless even if it's only a small percentage you fit in there somewhere so if in your relationship you are lacking in certain love languages you might then develop a need for that love language and I actually found that myself moving like when I was in my last relationship versus the relationship that I'm in now like I thought that words of affirmation was like quite a high one for me but what it's actually translated now when I was doing the quiz and I noticed about myself 
well, like without going to get in too deep in it, like there were a lot of maybe like empty words or empty promises, that kind of thing, like in my last relationship. So words became less important to me and action became more important. So I noticed my words of affirmation percentage going down and my acts of service percentage going up because so my past experience then was shaping my love languages as they were developing so yes and like you said the stage that you're at right now everybody has needs in a relationship and they're like your love language needs your emotional needs physical needs the whole host of them so if you're at a stage in your life where you are very busy and one of your needs is for your partner to be a team player for your partner to be reliable for you that you're able to trust them that they have your back or that the day that you can't give 50 percent in the relationship they like make up for the bit that you can't give that day so as you as your relation as you go to different stages in your relationship as you go to different stages in your life your needs change and if your needs change in your relationship your love languages then can then change or just go up and down in percentages depending on what's important for you so it makes absolute sense if you're like super super busy right now one of the biggest ways that your partner can show you that they love you is by being that team player by you're able to rely on him now when you come upstairs to your work that he's going to look after things downstairs and you have that confidence in him and that's making you feel loved but maybe in a couple of years time when the kids are starting to grow up and there's you haven't got that kind of need or pressure in the relationship, your love languages might change a little bit and they might maybe revert back to a less busy time in your life or they might just evolve and adapt altogether. So yeah, they can depending on where you're at in your life. And I can't remember your third question. <laughs> Does the changing love languages lead to like breakdowns of relationships? Yes. And like I actually, I would love, I don't know if this kind of study is possible, but I think it'd be really interesting if you're able to look into all the relationships in the world that have failed. And I would imagine that a large proportion of them didn't know each other's love languages because people are only kind of talking about it like the last few years, really. So, like, I do think knowing your partner's love language adds a different level to your relationship because it offers a different level of understanding than in relationships. And like that... A lot of the time when people, like if people are breaking up, they can pinpoint things. Like, let's say, for example, if it's a relationship where nothing happened per se, but they're like, oh, well, they just, they weren't doing this anymore. They weren't, or they were doing this and less of this. There are usually like needs in a relationship or love language that aren't being filled. Like, oh, he wasn't being physically affectionate when he with me anymore. He wasn't spending any time with me. Like, they are love languages in action. And... I do think that couples who are having struggles or going through challenging times, if even then at that moment committed to learning each other's love languages and figuring out how that manifests in their relationship and how they can nurture that in their relationship, I do think it would make a big difference in whatever challenges that they're facing. Yeah. I suppose it kind of gets to the stage that when things, you know, when it's careers, when it's kids, when it's like, you know, we're talking about like creating space for ourselves, you know, um, as women, well, not just as women, I'd like to be sure there's men listening to this too, you know, as individuals, should I say, when we're talking about making time for ourselves, it's very easy to forget to make time for your relationship, whether that is just to sit down and have a conversation about um, different, yeah, different 
love language like what are your love languages what makes you feel loved what what do you appreciate me doing for you um it's not something that like we like me and Dave don't sit down and have this conversation I actually just think that touch wood we are very lucky that like Dave's like I'm I'm quite like you know like I'm I'm like oh we're doing this we're doing you know like I tend to lead everything kind of and he just goes along with it he's so laid back but in in a really kind of relaxed kind of happy way like and he genuinely like I'm very lucky with him that he genuinely just wants to support me and wants me to be happy and but in return wants quality time like quality time is probably the most important thing for him and um I, I do think I'm lucky in that way that we haven't had to sit down and really kind of work through that he's not particularly needy like you know and like I it's funny I find neediness annoying which you would which you would find surprising about me you know considering that I love to work like my work is to help people but in my own relationships I don't like like you know I don't like neediness I like you know I have my life you have your life we're together and we want to be we're apart and we want to be you don't need me but choosing yeah. to be together and, it, and I don't get don't get me wrong like at the minute when we're raising kids and you know like having a mortgage and all that we are a team and we kind of do need each other financially and physically to run everything that the way it's running but we don't actually need need you know we choose to be together and that's the difference yeah but it's like you said like your job is to help people and then on top of that you have children and everything so in your life you are already giving a lot of yourself to help other people so maybe in a partner you need someone who is strong enough on their own that they're not just another person that you need to help yes yeah that's true yeah, yeah. it's like again early, like a couple of minutes ago you were saying about like kind of having that conversation with people like well what did I do this week that made you feel loved I love the concept of a relationship check-in I don't know if you've heard of it before um but it's some people do it like I didn't I've seen people do it like weekly or fortnightly or monthly or whatever but it's literally just spending even five minutes just to sit down and say has there been anything on your mind that um you've wanted to bring up I haven't been able to and what's something that since our last check-in that I did that really pissed you off and you don't want me to do again what's something that I did that made you feel loved and you'd like me to do more of and things like that because the thing is we don't talk about those things and quite often like things will happen and like we'll think about it in our head whether that's like a negative of other like that really bothered me that they did that or whether it's a positive thing thinking I really love that but we don't often verbalize it it just it comes into our head and then like it's gone but if if you have that conversation and like if you like if you turn around to your partner and said when you like tonight when you looked after the kitchen and put the kids to bed which allowed me to do my podcast I really appreciate that and it made me feel so loved and I just want to say thanks very much they're literally listening to that going okay she loved that I should do more of that so tomorrow I'm going to do it again yeah. and like it literally that conversation just leads to more transparent and happier relationships because there's that you know you know that saying that's been going around the last few years and um, if he wanted to he would it's like the concept of expecting people to be mind readers when they're not always, especially, and this love languages are a good example of why that doesn't work. Because if he wanted to, he would, doesn't work when his love languages are different to yours. Because then that's when you're going to get a clash. But if you tell him or her or whoever it is, what it is that's making you feel loved, what it is that you want, they 
like they literally they know then and they can go and do it and like people get like hate the idea of asking their partner to buy them flowers but depending on where you are like in your relationship say it's early days and they've never bought you flowers because growing up they never really seen people giving them flowers don't really see the point in it or whatever and as far as they're aware you might not be into flowers either and they just assume because that's how they feel because we all just assume that everybody thinks the way that we think and it's not the case whereas if you tell them I'm actually really into flowers I really like when people buy me flowers it makes me really happy it doesn't mean that the next day when he buys them oh he only bought them on it because I asked but it means that now for the duration of your relationship you've told him I like getting flowers so he knows to buy you flowers and it's like we can't expect people to be mind readers in that sense so these conversations are really good like if you have an expectation in your relationship tell your partner because otherwise your expectation probably isn't going to be met and then you're going to be sad and you're going to be pissed off and you're going to be blaming them but in reality their love language just might be different to yours and they're doing their best to show you love but you're not feeling it this relationship check-ins like like so I'm like hey, maybe so that good. needs to be another maybe I'll open a can of worms actually <laughs> we're gonna talk about this Dave will never know how much I appreciate him cleaning the kitchen like he won't listen to this episode so he won't like he not, not this episode he doesn't listen to the podcast like he listens to me enough like <laughs> so unless I and it's true like when you say like I would never say that to him I really appreciate you doing that I'll go down now and he'd be like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> why are you saying that to me but um it's like that's so good and I think especially for anyone listening I know a lot of people listening are at the same stage of life as me you know with kids at home um with busy lifestyles and um making that time for each other you know like I take my sister for example I know she won't mind me using her as an like my sister and her husband um have they recently had a baby last year so their baby is one year old now and um before they had Poppy is her name before they had Poppy they used to always go out on dates and give each other gifts and you know like they have like and then suddenly their life has changed and they're at home all the time and you know that it, it was a real contrast to me because it's so long since me and Dave had that you know that you you forget how much of a life change that is in your relationship and um, like still this stuff an amazing relationship but they're at home a lot more they can't just go out for dates you know like so when like when people are at the stage that like Maeve and Danny were at last year or that you're at now with your relationship where it's like Saturday night can be date night you can go out every Saturday night if you want or sit in together but it's date night especially if you don't live together as well or even if you do it doesn't matter you know that it's it's date night where you spend time together that doesn't happen as much when you get to my stage of life because yeah you know you don't go out like you're so busy with like everything or you know you've got kids football matches the next day you tend not to go out like if we go out it's like I'd usually, it would, I would usually be out with the girls or you know well Dave doesn't like going out he just prefers to be home <laughs> he's really no man but um you know that we don't really go on dates very often now. like and like mine and Dave's example of a date would be go climb a mountain like you know if my parents take the kids we'll go off out and do something like and it was really nice around our anniversary to have a meal out we went to a company and you know we did our little hike and we had our lunch out you know we loads of little dates and it was lovely and we're only getting back that back now like my oldest is 13 he's nearly 14 he's gonna be able to babysit soon we're gonna be able to do this he probably could babysit only that I don't you're going to buy that camper van. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go buy the camper van. I'll leave them in my house. My dad can look after them all. It'll be grand. <laughs> um, no, but like, 
we don't have that date night and that date night is when in the, I don't mean the early stages of relationship in a non-child relationship where you don't have kids. Yeah. You have that probably without even thinking about it, you're having that relationship checking because you're taking the time to sit down, have a meal together, a glass of wine together, whatever. But we do, you don't tend to do that as much when things get, when when there's like five of you in the house, you know, and even now, like, you know, if you've got a 14, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old that never fucking goes to bed, then three of you in the sitting room now at this stage. Um, but my point is, that's a really good idea. A relationship. Mm, that you don't, we don't have to be doing a date, you know, like, but it could be a case that, right, Saturday night, Maybe just be going for a walk, yeah. like, and you yeah. can just bring up the conversation. And it literally only has to take five minutes. Like, you're not always going to have things to talk about, but it's just, it's creating that space for each other to bring up something if you if you would like to. Yeah, like, said it, it'd be like Friday evening, and like, pizza night, over pizza, we're going to talk, we're going to have our little relationship check-in. Or, you know, yeah. after the kids go to bed Saturday night, before we put on the movie, we're going to chat, we're going to have our little relationship check-in. Or, you know, like yeah. anyone who does enjoy a glass of wine, that could be a nice little end of the week glass of wine together and and talk about that. You know what I mean? Like market. Yeah. And, and that's a really good idea. Um, so, nice. so nice. Okay, that's definitely, I, I've made note of that too. So I'm going to go after we finish recording this and be like, Dave, I have really appreciated you cleaning the kitchen today. Do you know what you're saying? Like you fucking left it in a state. <laughs> and you're like, excuse me, I'm trying I'm to give you words of affirmation. You and go back upstairs. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. Um, Forget it. One time again. <laughs> but come here. I know. Um, are you okay for time? I know we're at the hour now. Are you, can you go another? Yeah, piece? I'm good. Yeah, I've got more okay. time. Amazing. And uh, we'll, we'll just go another few minutes because I know you want to talk a little bit about attachments, uh, attachment styles as well. Yes. Yes. So again, I'll give kind of the very simplified version. So I learned, you actually might have learned about attachment styles. I don't know in your studies, when you're going to be a primary school teacher, because I learned lots about it when I was studying um, early childhood. So your atta- attachment styles come from attachment theory. And this is a theory that has been worldly renowned and accepted by psychologists for years and years and years. So your attachment style starts in your early childhood based on the relationship that you have with your caregivers, whether that's like your parents or close relatives or whoever's involved with you in those early years. And based on how you are receiving love from your parents or caregivers, you will develop one of three attachment styles. So that's secure, anxious, and avoidant. Now, there are there is a further breakdown of anxious and avoidant, but just for keeping it simple, we'll just stick with those three. So as you then go through life, your attachment style can change and evolve based on the life experiences and the relationships that you have. So for example, you may have had a very secure childhood, a very secure relationship with your parents that has allowed you to then develop a secure attachment style. But then you might get into a relationship that is unhealthy for one reason or another. And because of your experiences in that relationship, you can then develop maybe an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. About... 50% of the pop isn't it yeah about 50% of the population fits into the category of a secure attachment style with about 25% being anxious 25% being avoidant 
and quite often relationships are made up of one secure person and one person who is either anxious or avoidant so we'll talk a little bit about what the three attachment styles and kind of what they mean so secure is quite like what it says in the tin a secure person who has a secure attachment style is comfortable with with intimacy comfortable with like having the relationship having to rely on somebody being relied on having someone want to be intimate with them but they're also secure enough that they are their own person they have their own identity and they're quite happy for you then to also have your own identity that's kind of it's a, a secure person is usually someone who is like confident in themselves you can rely upon them somebody who has an anxious attachment style that's going to be somebody who is more inclined to maybe chase in their relationship and if you if you're a person who has an anxious attachment style and you're you feel your partner kind of like pulling away from you for whatever reason your anxiety then can flare up and you can think okay well I need to try harder or I need to fight harder for this relationship if you're an anxious person and you have a relationship with an avoidant person quite often that relationship doesn't work out because the two attachment styles trigger each other that's why a lot of relationships are made up of a secure person and then a another the avoidant attachment style is the person who pulls pulls away in the relationship they don't want to rely on anybody else they don't want to be relied upon they will find kind of any reason not to be in a you know the person who gets like the ick really really easy for like the silliest things chances are that person is avoidant and um, you like you could have someone who's great in front of you and like ticks lots of boxes but you'll find like something really small and inconsequential that will make you not want to be with that person or if you're if you're an avoidant person and you're with someone who has an anxious attachment style when the anxious person is triggered and starts displaying like anxious traits that triggers the person who's an avoidant then and they pull away but when they pull away that triggers the anxious person and they cling on and then when they cling on and try harder that triggers the avoidant even more and it's this constant battle of back and forth of pulling and climbing towards each uh, towards each other and that's why that relationship quite often doesn't work and you might say if you have a, two people in avoid who are avoidance it's not going to progress anywhere because neither neither of them are going to be like making the first moves towards each other and two people who are both anxious it's just I'll be a recipe for really, disaster would it too anxious yeah the exact words I was about to use because <laughs> just constantly triggering each other like a person um so I previously had a very anxious attachment style and how that manifested in me was I hated being on my own I couldn't stand being on my own and um, my happiness pretty much revolved around my relationship and like my partner like I wanted him to be happy because that made me happy and then I needed him in order for me to be happy. Um, but then when my partner, say, wasn't spending time with me, that flared up my anxiety. And then I was spending more time on my own, but I hated being on my own. And then I was like another vicious cycle. I also, like, I had a terrible habit of, like, checking my ex-partner's phone because of my anxiety and all those things. Not a great time. <laughs> um, but now I have 
have a lot more self-awareness now and I can kind of recognize myself when I'm having if I'm having anxious thoughts or if I'm behaving like in ways that are typical for an anxious attachment style I can recognize that in myself and I can kind of like check in and be like okay well am I appropriately responding to this situation or is this based on like my past experiences and things like that and then I'm able to kind of like correct it so I am a lot more secure now than I was it's also a really important thing to know is that you can change your attachment style or like well help to heal your attachment style through self-awareness and self-development and obviously the first step in that is to figure out what your attachment style is again there are some very good quizzes online but sometimes when you just read about different attachment styles you can kind of recognize yourself in the descriptions of it and there are some people who fall into an anxious avoidant it's like a combination of the two um which is like yeah which is even like more of a fun time but I always try to just keep it simple and just keep to the three um but you can like say if you recognize yourself that you are an avoidant or you're an anxious obviously the goal is to be more secure so how you can do that is firstly it is best to find a partner who is already secure because if your partner is secure they are less likely to trigger things in you and then you also need to kind of have self-awareness of how your attachment style manifests in your relationship and it's not just romantic relationships it actually happens in like your friendships and family relationships too but it's like it's not as noticeable because obviously they're romantic relationship that you have is very different to the relationship that you have with other people that's why it's more knows more obvious in your romantic relationships but if you are aware of how your attachment style manifests for you and in your relationship you can then have the awareness of it when it's happening and you can like try to correct yourself or think to yourself okay well I know I'm feeling very anxious right now so but I also know that I can help myself come out with this by doing x y and z and a lot of people, when they are trying to kind of figure out their attachment style, you like you a lot of a lot of struggles and issues that people have in relationships. If you were to kind of sit down and kind of like dive deep into them, you can usually always relate it back to your attachment style, which is another reason why it's a really good thing to learn about yourself and your partner. And similar to the love languages, knowing your and your partner's attachment style adds a whole new level to your relationship again because if your partner is behaving or acting in a certain way or saying certain things if you know what their attachment style is and you can link the two you then have a better understanding of them so maybe next time they if they say maybe said something or behaved a certain way rather than just going why are you being like this you're you're really pissing me off you're driving me mad you have a bit more understanding and you can maybe sit down and have a conversation about it and say, okay, well, I noticed today when you said this, it must have really bothered you. But can you like explain it to me? It's just kind of creating that safe space for each other again. You can and do having it that conversation. During your relationship check-in on your Friday evening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can combine all of the above together. But it's, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like self-awareness. It's relationship awareness. Yeah. Definitely. Well, like you can't have relationship awareness without self-awareness. Yeah. And they both have. To yeah. You need to, you need so to start there. Then two secure people makes a pretty secure relationship then, does it? 
Yeah, it would, but for some reason, because of the kind of the level, like the way the percentages are broken down for the different attachment styles, and as I said, you can break them down into more than just the three. For, it always usually ends up being one secure person, and then just a way of fraction works. Person. Obviously, yeah, people aren't yeah, yeah. people who are the same as them. You know, that's what they say. Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> we like a bit of drama. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, this has been really, really helpful and really kind of. It's funny. Like I, I was like, I don't need to know any of this stuff. It's grand. We're too busy, you know. But it's like it's yeah. it's amazing. Just giving it that little bit of reflection, like you know, and um, because like relationships are not easy. And like that's the year no. they get harder. And I think it's important to remember that like, yeah, relationships take work. And then it's also okay. It's also important to know that sometimes it's okay for relationships to end um, as well. That's also okay. And that we don't have to keep fighting and fighting and fighting if it's not worth it. Um, yeah. And, but that it's definitely, you know, if you're in a relationship, this is definitely something to take on board and... 100% and I know you're a reader so if anybody else is like a reader there's a book if you're looking for the simplified version Sinead Hegg has a really good book it's called Things You Need to Know About Relationships and it's only something like 40 pages and it kind of breaks love languages and attachment okay. styles down in a really simple way and that was actually how I discovered the two topics and was able to diagnose myself um, to start with but then if you're looking for something that's a bit more of like a psychological read there's a book called the attached and that kind of breaks it all down as well and it's a really really good book okay amazing um so you before we finish up you have group coaching starting in the new year in january. january yeah the places are live now but the the 10 week course starts on the 3rd of january which i'm really excited about. and let me just say group coaching not group fitness and health coaching like i do um do you want to just talk a little bit about your do you want to talk about your program and let people know what it's all about and where they can find you if they're interested in finding out more and maybe what to sign up yeah great um so my group it's group life coaching and it's basically it's my 12 week one-to-one coaching program and everything that i've learned for myself all crammed into a 10 week group coaching program so it's weekly online sessions where we come on and we have a zoom and then i speak about a certain topic so that could be love languages your relationship with yourself your attachment styles building confidence how to take advantage of your failures like i have it is a different topic every week and we go through that there's a chance to answer questions but then we also have some personalized individual feedback so every week everybody will have like some journal prompts where they can kind of delve deeper on what we discussed and it's just something that I can support them on individually like they send it's kind of like the weekly check-ins you do they send the information to me I'll respond to them and I can kind of link it in then for the next week so it's a great way to start the new year for any of our self-development wellness girlies start the new year off with a bang and yeah I'm really excited about it I can't wait my social medias are Kelly's coaching it's okay e-l-l-y-s and then coaching with a k k-o-a-c-h-i-n-g and yeah it's all go now into it one thing I'll say about it is I wish when I started my self-development journey that I had a course like this that I could just whack it all out in 10 weeks <laughs> it would have been great so yeah it's going to give all the tools that people need then to really kind of take 2024 by storm 
and really work on themselves and get what they want out of it. And I think it's, am- it's amazing as well because, you know, a lot of people like would love to have a life coach, but possibly can't afford one. So to be able yes. to be like life coaching in a group sense and also back to our point at the start about, you know, finding our tribe and, you know, like women's circles and, you know, finding ways to connect with people who are into the If you are into self-development, wellness, um, it's a great place, I would imagine, to meet other people who are into yes. this and maybe at the start of their journey. And it's like, I know today we talked a lot about relationships. Um, and I think anyone who's interested in what Kelly is talking about or does to go back and listen to our part one. I can't remember what episode it was, but go back. It's it's back. Um, we did it in the summer and um, listen to other areas that we talked about in relation to journaling and mindset. And, you know, so it's a whole personal journey. journey. It's not just about relationships and um, at an affordable price that you yeah uh, it's it's a fraction of the cost of what, what I was doing before it works out at about less than a tenner a week and like I was paying like 70 euro a week for therapy so I mean like this is the bargain <laughs> tenner a week like that's what that's less than even a bottle of wine you know come on um definitely so um I will share all your details in the show notes and um do contact Kelly check her out follow her um and ask her any questions at all about her program starting January and even if you're listening to this after January contact her I presume this is something that you'll be doing on um on we're going to keep it going yeah exactly it's my new baby I'm so excited amazing Kelly thank you so much for everything today I really enjoyed that I've learned so much. thank you for having me on <laughs> God love Dave now we can talk, can't we <laughs> If we still didn't get to talk about everything we were supposed to, but at least we got most of it. <laughs> yes, no, I'm happy with this. This is amazing. Um, and I will chat to you again soon. Yes, great. Talk to them. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, you guys have no idea how much it means to me. Um, I absolutely love doing the podcast. And I love sharing uh, the stories of the different people that I talk with. And I'm just learning so much myself. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Um, If I could ask you for one little thing, well, maybe three little things um, would be number one, if you could subscribe to the podcast, it makes such a difference um, for numbers on Spotify or whatever um, with people actually subscribing rather than just listening to random episodes. Um, If you if there's ever a particular episode that you really enjoy, if you were able to leave a review, this would be absolutely amazing. And then obviously the most important thing, if you enjoy an episode, please do share it on your stories, wherever on your social media, tag me in it, or even just share it in your WhatsApp groups or with your friends or with your family or anyone that you think um, will enjoy the podcast. Um, let's try and get it out there to more people and try and help more people. Um, and if you are eager to get working with me, um, I have restructured how I'm going to be doing my coaching going forward. So the eight week Nourish, Move and Shine program is no more. Um, however, you can still work with me by application only. So um, if you're interested in getting fit, getting healthy and just getting into good habits and check out my coaching application form. You get it through the link in my bio and any of my social media or on my website and we can have a chat, see if it's a good fit and get you working towards your goals for the year ahead.